reminds me, even as I mentioned, a story I heard a long time ago. Um, there was a, a doctor in, in, in China, or it was India, and they were going along the road, and they came upon a wreck. And um, there was one person that was severely hurt, and the doctor got out and uh, tried to, to help him, but in the end, he wasn't, wasn't able to. Uh, and the man died, and the doctor, he lamented afterwards. He said, if I only had my instruments, he, had, he didn't have his medical kit with him on that particular trip. Was, they were just on an outing when they said it. He said, if I only had my instruments, I'd have been able to help him. And uh, he realized that that's what God was saying to him, that we are God's instruments to use in bringing people into relationship with him. Uh, and he wants to use us. Um, but when we, for whatever reason, and we'll talk about some of those reasons today, that we are fooled or we end up not being available to be used, I, I believe he does grieve over that because he's chosen us to be the way that he works in bringing people to himself. So we want to talk about some very practical ways about sharing our faith, and I appreciate Michelle, uh, very many very practical ways uh, that we can develop in this area, and the idea that there are many spiritual gifts, um, evangelism, service, um, you, we may not have the gift of service, but we know Christians are to serve, right? Every Christian is to serve. We may not have the gift of giving, but all Christians are need to be involved in, in giving in the same way evangelism. Whether or not we have the gift of evangelism, we are all to be involved in it. So I wanted to start by reviewing some of the uh, points I talked about last time. One big one being um, that when we are weak in sharing our faith, we miss out. We as individuals and we as a church are missing out on a lot of blessings. Because as we're active in sharing our faith and seeing people show interest in the gospel and seeing them become part of the family of God, it brings so much vibrancy into our lives as we and other people help them learn to take baby steps as Christians and how to grow. We all are blessed by that. And um, so we're... This is not a message just to put guilt on people. It's to say we're missing out. We're missing out on some of the blessings God has for us and for others as well. We talked about Philemon, where he said, I pray you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. I don't completely understand how that's possible, but I believe it's true that as we are active in sharing our faith, our understanding of what we have in Christ becomes even more real to us. As we see someone make a decision to turn their life from them being in charge of their life to Christ being in charge of their life, and they receive God's forgiveness and experience forgiveness and a cleansing of the shame they feel for mistakes and sins they've made in their life, oh, we experience a new the, the joy of having our own sins forgiven and a reminder that there's so many blessings as we share our faith. And also, um, our friend in China said, the happiest Christians I know are those that regularly share their faith. And when we heard that, we thought about it and we said, yeah, I think that's pretty true. 
And then my own experience, the most alive churches I've been around are those where members are intentional about regularly sharing their faith. They're, it's true. Sharing our faith, we get a full understanding of all that we have in Christ. So I don't come today to put guilt on us. I come to say, let's not miss out on the multiple, multitude of blessings God has for us. Another important thing we talked about and I really believe this is really important to get this idea um, that a good definition of success can really make a big impact. That's so often, I think it's one of the tricks of Satan is he really wants us Christians to be discouraged and feel defeated and feel condemned all the time about evangelism and to the point where we just give up or forget about it. I always screw up and I always end up feeling so bad I'm not even going to try anymore. I really believe that there's a spiritual battle in this regard. But our definition of success in evangelism can really play a big part in this, encountering that. And that success in evangelism is sharing truth about God by the leading and power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. And I, I believe if we really get that in our heart, that it's not just in our head, but we begin living this out, uh, it will really have a radical difference in the way we approach this and it'll rid, of, rid us of so much unnecessary guilt that I don't want any of us to have. But there's several important aspects. First, the success in evangelism is sharing truth. Okay, that's the first area. So often we think, I'm not successful unless I've led the person to the Lord. Okay, and we've talked about you know, if it takes 29, on average, some research somewhere said 29 contacts with the gospel before a person believes. So that means if, if you share with people one out of every 30 times, you're going to lead them to the Lord. You're going to be a pretty frustrated, defeated person with that kind of success rate. If you were a baseball player, you'd be sitting on the bench if that's your average, one out of 30. Okay, anybody would be feel discouraged about that. But... Um, success isn't about leading them to the Lord. It's about sharing truth to them. Well, what truth do I share? Well, the truth that the Holy Spirit leads you to pray or leads you to share. That made me think, I remember early on when I was in China, somebody was asking me, what, what did I really like about being in China and ministering in China? I said, you know, I've realized one of the things I love is the fact that um, I, I love and I hate this. Uh, whenever I share with somebody, I don't know if they're a communist party member or not, if they're hostile, hostile to the gospel. And so when I'm sharing the gospel with them, I'm praying, Lord, do you want me to share the gospel with this person? If this is the wrong person to be sharing with, please let me know somehow that I should stop and not share. Uh, and I, so I would share, and as I share, I'm looking for nonverbal cues. Are, are, is this person tracking with me, or are they taking notes and writing this down so they can remember the details when they turn me into the police? Um, but as, as it began happening, and, and I wasn't, didn't end up sharing with any police that I was aware of, I began realizing, wow, it is. I love that experience of being forced, quote, forced to rely upon the Holy Spirit when I share. And it got me thinking, why, why didn't I do that in America? Don't I need the Holy Spirit just as much guiding me and leading me in America as in China? 
So I thank God for that, and I believe he's helped me to do that whenever I'm wanting to share the gospel, to really rely on the Holy Spirit's leading. And the Spirit leads us about sharing truth. What do I share? Sometimes he leads us to just share our testimony. Sometimes he just leads us when we're in the cashier's line to, to say, uh, God bless you, have a good day. Or to say, um, do you have any prayer requests that I could pray for? Wow, that's a, that's a beautiful sentence. Um, I doubt that anybody's been offended that she asked that. You're caring for the person. I want to help you. Is there something I can pray for you? Wow, that's a, that's a really great line. I want to use that more because it, it just shows a heart of concern. And that's the kind of people as Christians we are and want to be more and more. So the Holy Spirit leads us. Is it our testimony? And then is it all, say we start sharing the gospel, feel led to that. Well, we keep relying on the Holy Spirit to know how far to go. And sometimes the Spirit will lead us, okay, that's enough for this person, or they've lost interest, or that's all that I, that's all you need to share for today. Okay, and if we follow the Holy Spirit, and we only shared um, two laws of the four spiritual laws, that's success, if, we, if that's the way the Holy Spirit has led us. And we can leave not feeling defeated, but rejoicing. And leaving, because we're leaving the results to God, and we're acknowledging, God, if someone's going to come to the Lord, it's going to be through your power. So what we share, how much we share, whether even, there may be times when um, God, the Spirit, just puts a check on us, you don't need to share anything. Now, I think our tendency will be to think that's happening every time we meet with somebody, so we have to be careful about that, but that, that I believe that's true as, as well. Um, we think of our own lives, there are certain days when somebody wanted to share the gospel message with me, I wouldn't be particularly open to it. Um, so the, God may lead us that way on occasion as well. So the content, the, the, the Spirit leads us in that, and then Success is doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, I was just reading the book Michelle mentioned this week, Out of the Salt Shaker, and there's a wonderful story in there. Um, so Rebecca Pippert, I believe is the author, is that right? Yeah. She was saying how she was trying to develop a more a natural evangelistic lifestyle with people. And she was at some party, and she started talking to somebody about her faith, and after a few minutes, she excused herself from this person, and she went to the bathroom, and she said, I love the way she said it, she said, God, I've been talking to this person, but I can tell all that they're hearing is blah, 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 blah. And Lord, I don't, I know that's not the message you want them to hear is blah, blah, blah. Lord, help me. So she prayed, then she went back out and later was talking with this person, and as she began speaking again, suddenly she realized they were connecting. This person was getting what she was saying. And by the time she finished, this person had expressed an interest in uh, uh, reading the Gospel of Mark or reading the Gospels, that they wanted to learn for themselves what Jesus really said and what he did. So she realized anew, wow, it's the Holy Spirit that's at work in this. It's his job to draw people to himself, and so her dependence on the Spirit was more than ever. And so, when we're 
sharing the gospel, we need to be praying and asking God. And that's a great way if we have somebody with us. That's the beauty of that is they're praying for us. Lord, give wisdom to my friend as he shares the gospel here. Um, but even as we're sharing, we can just shoot up a prayer in our, in our mind to God and he hears us and answers. So we share by the leading of the Holy Spirit, relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, and then leaving the results to God. Okay, It's his job. My, our job is to sow the seed. Okay, And if we've done that by the leading of the Spirit, then we can rejoice and we should rejoice. I talked last time about how in our family we developed this habit. If in a taxi uh, or wherever we shared the gospel, when that person was done, one of us always tried to say, Helen, great job, even if the person rejected it or right at the beginning showed no interest at all. She was faithful to share according to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So we said, great job, and we celebrate that. Um, Michelle was sharing, made me think of, I have, my brother was a missionary in Egypt for many years, and uh, his, his son, there was a time in his life, he wasn't too fond about living in Egypt. Uh, it was a very polluted city, and... Um, but my brother had the habit of every time he got in a taxi, he would, he would ask the question to the taxi driver, do you know all the roads in Cairo? And inevitably, they amazingly would say, yes, I do. And then he'd say, do you know the road to heaven? And Muslims love to talk about God, and they would often you know, say, oh, no, I don't think I do. And they would start a conversation. So his son one day was asking him, dad, why do you do that? And, and um, his dad said, well, our, God's called us to come here so that we can preach the gospel that all the Egyptians in Cairo can understand God's love and how they can be reconciled to him. And, and he asked some more, and his dad said, yeah, and when we finish that, I guess God may, you know, if we ever were to finish that, we'd move us on somewhere else. And so at a time when his son wasn't too excited about living in Egypt, they got in a taxi, and for some reason my brother hadn't engaged a taxi driver yet, and his son was in the back seat. So he said, Dad, what's the matter? And he realized, oh, he was probably asking that. He didn't share. He said, what? And he said, Dad, you better get going because <laughs> I want to get out of Egypt. <laughs> so in the same way, uh, sometimes helpful, other times not as helpful, uh, his children got the idea of what they were doing. Um, but how beautiful that also our lifestyles we know are going to impact our children. And don't we want our children to learn how to naturally, casually, relevantly, and effectively be able to engage people with the gospel? Wow, what a great gift to give our children. One of the best ways that's going to happen is they see you do it. And if they see you struggling and working at it, great, because then they'll learn, oh, it's just not natural. It's something you got to work at. So even your, your failures uh, will be helpful to them. So this definition, I, I really believe, is really important to get in our heart. Not only a, a good definition, but we talked about a good analogy. And that was the analogy of peas on a scale. That at a merchant, you want a, a kilo of peas, so they start putting the peas on. And finally, one of them uh, causes the scale to go down. And we said, you know, it would be ridiculous if we take that one pea and say, oh, this is the best pea. I'm going to eat this one first because it's so sweet or it's so special. But that, that's what we typically do 
when so, we get so excited when somebody leads someone to the Lord, which we should, but we don't get excited if we've sown a seed by the power of the Holy Spirit and the leading of the Holy Spirit, and we're leaving the results to God. If we we often don't get excited about that, but for that that person, they need twenty nine or however many it's going to be for that person touches with the gospel. Every one of those is essential. And so when we combine those two, that definition and this analogy, I really think it can have a powerful impact on the way we view evangelism and get rid of a lot of our guilt, a lot of our discouragement. Our job is really comes down to just following the leading of the Holy Spirit, and then we're, we're successful. And as we do that, we're going to grow in our, our skills at sharing. As I say here, Using this analogy helps us see that every touch counts. Every encounter, every time we obey the Holy Spirit, saying maybe a little bit or the whole gospel, whatever he leads us, makes a difference. And then we looked at John 4 and saw that sowing is important. It's just as important as the reaping, and it's considered the hard work. We'll just pick this up here at verse 37. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Others have done the hard work, quote, the sowing, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. So Jesus says it right here. The hard work is the sowing of the seeds. So when you sow seeds, you should rejoice. You've done the harder work. I think it's okay to even say, Oh yeah, Chuang led that guy to the Lord, but I planted seeds yesterday with this guy over here. You know, not that it's a competition or anything, but we need to change our our mentality. No, we should say, praise the Lord, Chuang led that guy to the Lord, and praise the Lord, I sowed seeds that are just as critical and vital as bringing that person to the Lord. That's really what our attitude should be. But it's true, isn't it? If so often we, we may sow a seed, but we end up somehow leaving discouraged. Ah, oh, they weren't very responsive. Yes, of course we want them to be responsive. But if we continually let Satan discourage us that they're not, then so, sometimes that's why we, we stop sharing. No, we need to realize our job is to be faithful to following the Holy Spirit. And then we talked about with Michelle's help, She came up and showed us her feet, and we said, what about her feet? What did we tell her? Your feet are beautiful. You've shared the good news with people. God says your feet are beautiful. And if your feet are beautiful, what about the rest of you? What does it say about the rest of you if your feet are beautiful? And if somebody said I had beautiful feet, the older I get, man, it's a losing battle. I got a toenail that used to be round and kind of nice, and now it's pointed. And okay, Helen, too much information. Okay, I can tell you. So she knows all about it, unfortunately. <laughs> but leave it to say, if somebody said, "Wow, hey, those are some nice-looking feet," I would be feeling pretty good. But that's what God says about us. When you share the good news, when you bring the good news to somebody. Wow, even your feet are beautiful. Do you feel that pleasure? The pleasure of God. Eric Little said, when I run, I feel his pleasure in the movie at Chariots of Fire. 
In the same way, when we share God's good news, we should feel the pleasure of God. And we're missing out on that if we're not regularly sharing, if we're not following the leading of the Holy Spirit. We're missing out on that. God says it's beautiful, beautiful when we share the gospel. We touched on also the importance in 1 Peter 3. Whenever we give a reason for the hope in us, we must do it with gentleness and respect. So there's some bad examples out there. Some people who preach the gospel and the people do not feel respected. And the way they're doing it is not gentle. The Bible is so clear about that. We need to always do that. Um, And it's interesting that same passage says, if we do it with gentleness and respect, we'll have a good conscience. So that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. It's interesting here, it says, when you are slandered. Okay, even preaching the gospel with gentleness and respect, the Bible is just so honest and says, there's still going to be people that slander you. Okay, so we know, it's very honest. There'll be people that don't like the message. They don't like the message, um, even when it's presented with gentleness and respect. Okay, thanks for the warning, God. We'll put that one away, and so we won't get discouraged. We'll expect that. We'll expect that to happen, that sometimes people won't like the message. So that's what we talked about last time. I sent out a uh, survey kind of asking, and overall, from the responses I got, we're at a 2.4. Most people would say, how are you doing at evangelism? Somewhere between so-so and eh, I'm kind of doing poorly. So it's an area that we want to improve. And as I was looking at this this morning, I was thinking, wow, just imagine, what if we got that 2.4 up to the point of 3.4 of so-so to, yeah, I'm doing well. Can you imagine the difference that will make? How would you feel if you went from 2.4 to 3.4 to where you're, you're halfway to I'm doing well? That'd be pretty encouraging, wouldn't it? What if it went to 4.4? Man, I'm almost a really well. So, and that's what God wants. I believe he's just, um, he's really working. I believe this is something he's doing, that he wants to bless us and get us helping each other to improve in this area that we can be blessed and, and experience the joy of sharing the gospel. I looked at this, I think maybe it's better we, we could even look at it in terms of success. Um, that's what our focus is, is sharing the gospel or God's truth by the power of the Holy Spirit and the leading of the Holy Spirit, leaving the results to Him. Well, how are you doing at that? Well, I was having slight success, but now I'm, I'm actually doing it with success. That would be wonderful, that we all can take steps of improvement and work on it. And it does, as Michelle said, it, it takes work. We get better at it the more we do. It's like a muscle. It's like a performing art. It's not like science where you just read about it and learn the knowledge. It's more like dance. The way you learn how to dance is by not looking at a book. It's by watching people do it and then doing it. Evangelism is, is an art more than it is science. And as I asked uh, God about what he'd have me share this time, um, there were two things he put on my heart. The first one was uh, becoming fishers of men, fishers of women. This passage where Jesus said to 
different disciples. Come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, fishers of women. So really, what was he saying? I believe a good translation of this would be, come follow me and I'll make you good at influencing people to become followers of me. And as he took me to this passage, uh, actually it was very difficult because I felt God saying to me, um, well, how are you doing it this way? And I said, Lord, I, I, not as well as I'd like, not as well as I know you'd like. Uh, Lord, I need your help to do better. I want to do better. I want to honor you by doing better in this area. And there was a hard question. That question was, if we're not good at influencing people to become followers of Christ, could it be that we're not following him well? Or that we're not following him as well as we should? And I'm not trying to pour guilt on here, but sometimes we feel guilt because we're guilty. And I was guilty. Yeah, Lord, in that area, I am, I'm not following you as closely as I should be. You left an example of how to fish for men, how to influence people. Lord, would, as a master fisherman, would you, would you teach me? Because, Lord, I, I need to follow you better in that way. And then he led me to another passage, a familiar one in John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Now in this passage, I think we'd all agree that fruit would include reproducing ourselves, seeing other people come into relationship and follow God, remain in Him, learn how to abide in Him. I think it means much more than that. The fruit of the gospel in our lives, our character, as that changes, that that's bearing fruit. That brings glory to God. So I'm, I don't want to be misunderstood to say this is only talking about reproducing yourself, leading others to the Lord. But I, certainly that's part of it. And again, as I looked at this passage, felt the Lord saying to me a hard question. If I'm not bearing much fruit, could it be that I'm not abiding in Christ very well? Or not as well as I should be. Yeah, Lord, I, I need to learn to live in you, abide in you, make my home in you better so that I'm more in tune with the Holy Spirit. And I know, Lord, there's times when he's telling me to, I see my neighbor and he says, oh, just go across the street and say hello. And I duck into the garage or say a word to this go over and meet that person say something to him just strike up a conversation and, 
and I know it's the Holy Spirit, and yet I, I don't. And he's wanting me to make a relationship from a stranger, uh, stranger making them an acquaintance, and then an acquaintance to a friend, and, and then sharing the gospel as, as the Spirit leads. So this actually is encouragement to me. I hope it's to you as well that an important part of this process, we're not going to give up quiet time training and holding each other accountable through men and women's groups and community groups. All of those are to help us remain, abide in him, to follow Christ. That's always going to be important because the closer we abide in him, the closer we follow him, the better we will do at sharing our faith. So let's continue to ask God, help us to abide in you, Lord. Help us to follow you more closely, especially in this area, Lord, where, where we're struggling. I believe that's a prayer that he, he wants to answer. In fact, let's just pause now. If that's your heart, would you just say that to the Lord? You know, the Lord says there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Jesus isn't an angry father that... that gets all hacked off and yells at his kids. No, he is a gentle father. And when he sees an area we're not doing so well, he, he's gentle, uh, but firm. And he says to us, yes, that's an area I want to see you grow. That's an area I want to help you grow. If that's your desire, would you just say a prayer even now to the Lord? Tell him your heart. If that's your heart, Lord, help, help me in this area. I want to please you. I want to help others that don't know you. Lord, I need your help. Amen. That's a prayer that I know he will be quick to respond to. Well, I asked about this. This was on my heart. I had a meeting, uh, breakfast with uh, Tom Wolf the other day, and I asked him, I said, you know, one area we're wanting to grow in our church, an area I'm going to grow more in my life is, is in sharing more effectively. I said, do you have any thoughts about how to help a church do that? And in true fashion, he said, my advice is turn around and write it down. By turn around, he asked, he said, well, would you say in the small groups, is the primary orientation of groups inward or outward? And I said, oh, probably more, more inward. And he said, well, my experience, he said, has been that when groups turn more and more outward, that they actually, that they do better at reaching others and sharing uh, with others. But actually, he said, typically my experience was they had more vibrancy because the focus was on, on others, uh, not just them, themselves. Um, there were less um, petty arguments that came up because the focus was on what we're doing for the people trying to bring people in. And it was interesting, um, Linda, his wife, uh, Tom Wolf was saying, there were a couple of Fuller students over the years that did a study of their church, and he said both of them found, as they looked at some of the statistics, that about 20% of the growth in the church came through one small group, and there were maybe 20 or so, 20 to 30 small groups at different times. 
And he said that small group was the one led by my wife, Linda. And so they began looking at it. Why is that one group so fruitful? And they came to find out it was because her group was always focused. And she was in charge of children's ministry. And so it was other people involved in children's ministry. Um, Their group was focused on helping people to come to know the Lord and creating events where people could could come to church for an event or come to their small group for a picnic. Uh, They hosted a lot of picnics, a lot of dinners and homes, and would just ask people to come. A lot of the people were people from the the parents of kids uh, in the children's ministry that either didn't come to church or uh, didn't really know the Lord. But by being focused outward and having events for them, they led 20% of the people that to the Lord that came to the church because of that primary orientation. The other thing he said was write it down. He said they saw a big change in their church when they started what they called prayer triplets. They'd have three people in a small group, each write down three names of people that they really had a burden to see come to the Lord. They would pray every day for their own three people and then also for the three people of the other two people. Um, and this is something that, that we'd like to start in the men's and women's accountability group, just doing it with your accountability partner. So praying for three people and then praying for the three people that's on the, that, that has been given a burden to your accountability partner uh, daily. And then when you meet as a group to, to ask them, anything going on with them? I'm, and pray for them that day as well, uh, and then asking them. And as those people on our heart... Um, I believe it's inevitable that God is, is going to begin working powerfully. Also asked Chris Crossan about this, or remembered actually something I once learned from him years ago, and it came from his experience in Turkey. He was there among the Kurds for a number of years, but he came up with a concept called precision harvesting, and it's the idea of looking for and investing in those that appear to be responsive. And I think this is important as, as well, and we'll show, uh, in a minute I want to show you how this is a, is a biblical concept. It doesn't have a very biblical name per se, but um, it came from his experience in Turkey. He was there and they sent two women, if you can see the two little red X's, to live in a, a community, I believe they were in Ankara, and they came for two years. And he said these, they were recent college graduates uh, and they were on his team and he said they were really good workers. And right away, they began learning the language and meeting locals. And he said they met this one family that they just had a special tie with, a Muslim family. And this Muslim family invited them over for different celebrations as their family. And over time, they got to meet the mother and father and the brothers and the sisters and some of the extended relatives. There's about 11 or 12 in the family that they became quite close with. So we had marked those people in the green here. And for two years, they were deeply involved in their life. And Chris said they did a great job. They, they had opportunities to share about the gospel and learn about what, what they believed as Muslims and sensitively and relevantly share about the gospel. But he said at the end of two years, um, unfortunately none of them had come to the Lord, but they rejoiced that they had sown many seeds. But he said right at that time when he said, I was feeling a little discouragement that they unfortunately hadn't led anybody to the Lord as effective as they were. He said, I got an email that week from a radio broadcast, and they said, we've just gotten a list of people in Ankara, a list of 100 people, 100 Muslims, 
that have just finished a New Testament course, um, correspondence course. And here are their names and addresses. And he said, so it was more like this. If you can see the yellow, there were the two girls and there were all these people that on their own initiative had heard a radio broadcast and said, I want to know more about Christianity. And they went and said, give me a New Testament course. And they completed it. And Chris said, oh, what if two years ago when these girls came or after they'd had six or ten months of language, if I'd have had them go and follow up all the women that had completed this course. He said, wow, I wonder how much fruit we'd have seen. Because the idea of, he realized it's important to continually were to look for the responsive people. Now we don't, um, we aren't rude to those that aren't responsive. Maybe later they'll become responsive. We still preach the gospel to everyone. We don't um, turn our nose on anyone. But the idea of those that have shown a response, wow, they finished a course. Should we give great attention to them? And so he said, he came up with this idea of precision harvesting. We need, should be looking for those that are interested and then focus our energy there. Uh, and this idea comes from the scriptures uh, in particular, this idea of person of peace in, math, or in Luke chapter 10. It's when Jesus sent out, I believe he sends out the 12 in this passage. He says, go, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you and heal those in it who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So the idea was you would come to a house and ask for God's peace to be there. And if it, if it wasn't and the pers- people didn't, receive you and didn't put food in front of you and allow you to stay there then you would move on but the idea was you would go to find somewhere where there was a man of peace or we call this a person of peace and if we look in scripture some examples i think of we have cornelius he gathered he was responsive to the gospel he gathered his neighbors he provided an inroads for the gospel Uh, Levi or Matthew, when he came to the Lord, had a big party with the tax collectors. He was a person of peace that opened the door into many other people. Zacchaeus had a big party, invited his friends, and was responsive to the Lord. said, Lord, if I've done someone wrong, I'll give back double, I think is what he said. Um, So they were clearly responsive to the gospel, and we see how God builds the kingdom, multiplies the kingdom, when we're through these people of peace. So we don't neglect anybody, but we should always be looking for this. And even as we share with people, the idea we talked about, we're fishermen, we throw out bait. And a good fisherman, if uh, when, when there starts being lots of nibbles in the area, you stay there. Say, oh, there's fish here. Uh, we used to do that, I'd go with my dad every summer after we graduated or from high school, at the growing up until high school. The first week after school was out, for a week, our family would go fishing. As my two brothers, me and my dad, four of us in a little 10, 12-foot aluminum boat. And we would fish 
for hours. We'd go in the morning for bass and the afternoons for bluegill. And we'd go somewhere and we'd all put out our lines and if nothing was hitting, then we'd move to another place. And then when you, we'd sometimes find holes. I, one time we, in two and a half hours, caught 250 bluegill. Just a huge sack, could barely even pull it out of the water. Um, because we found a spot where they're responsive. Did we leave and go somewhere else? No, we stayed there and fished. It's just logical. A good fisherman, when he finds the place where the fish are biting, where people are responsive. And Jesus said, do the same thing. Look for places where people are responsive. Or wherever you are, look for those that are responsive. In our own ministry, um, this woman right here that was holding Kia when she was about two, uh, her name is Xiaoli. Xiaoli. She came when we first went to Jingxi, and she would make uh, meals for us so we could do language study. But very early on, Helen did a lot of sharing with her, and within four or five months, she, she came to believe. Um, she was a person of peace. Everybody else in this photo were she introduced us to or were relatives or friends of hers. And we were just talking this morning, and we said, even today with the people Bo and Cindy are involved with, of all the people the gospel has gone to, 80% of those people were introduced to us or Bo and Cindy through Shali. So she was a person of peace that God uses to open the door into many other relationships. So we should look for that person of peace. We should always be praying Especially, let's all pray, God, lead us to somebody that's hungry for you, that you've ordained, you've chosen to be in your kingdom. Lead us to those people. Lead us to people, Lord, that, that will open the door to many other people that are hungry to know you. In the survey, I asked some of the reasons that um, we don't share our faith more. And I just want to go quickly over a few of these. Um, but looking at lack of boldness, lack of confidence, laziness, lack of motivation. I don't know how to make the gospel relevant and appealing. I don't know how to present it in a natural, casual, personal way. I'm afraid of appearing hypocritical. There aren't many non-Christians that I know or hang out with anymore. So lack of boldness. You know, as I thought about that, it was interesting. In Colossians 4, Paul says, Devote yourselves to prayer and be watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am chained. Pray that, it may, that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So he said, pray that God will open a door for the message so that we can proclaim it. Okay, so prayer, we should be praying that God will open the door for opportunities for us. That has a huge impact. And so that's part of this plan is we're going to begin doing that. We're encouraging people to do that. Then lack of confidence. I think Michelle addresses really well practice. The more we practice, the better we get. We, then as we practice and we fail, we ask somebody, oh, well, how do you do it? We learn from others and keep going. But as that Colossians passage says at the end, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Another place Paul says, pray that I may proclaim it boldly. So boldly and clearly are how we are to proclaim the gospel. To proclaim it clearly, we need to do it in a way that is relevant for people. 
And the way we do that, the more we do that, the more we are learners, ask others about it, watch videos, read books, talk to people, we improve through practice, through exercising that muscle. Then laziness and lack of motivation. Uh, Part of this, I hope, um, comes from our wrong definition, lack of a good analogy for EV evangelism. I think that will help. But also this idea that we realize how much we're missing out of the blessings of God, the pleasure of God, by, by not sharing with others. Then I don't know how to make the gospel relevant and appealing. That's kind of similar to the next question. I don't know how to do it in a natural, personal way. Let's see. And there was, yeah. So to make it relevant and appealing is important. It's not clear if it's not relevant. And Paul even went so far as to say, we're to pers- I persuade men. Okay, So his heart was in it. He knew ultimately it's God that brings somebody, but Paul wanted it to be appealing to them. He tried to persuade them with his heart because it was such an important matter. One interesting thing is, Um, some have identified these three cultural orientations. Some cultures are honor, shame-based. Many in the Chinese culture, Asian cultures, Korean culture have honor and shame. What's interesting, this may be a sermon for another time, but the Bible has a lot to say about honor and shame. And uh, just in the last two years in Asia, our company has changed. A lot of people are changing the way they share the gospel to reflect more of this idea of honor and shame, that when we as men turned from God, we brought shame upon ourselves and dishonored God and the sending of his son so that we could be returned to him and be restored in our honor with him. Um, other cultures are more power and fear-based. The Zhuang that we were involved with had a, certainly had an honor-shame aspect but power was really important. Going to the witch doctor when they had problems and the witch doctor had power and that was important. So as we showed that the gospel had power and, uh, and prayed for people and as I mentioned one time, this grandmother whose arm was healed, she came to faith because of that, the display of God's power. Then our American culture tends to be more one of righteousness versus guilt. And when we present the gospel we talk about, We're guilty before God. Our sins separate us from God. Through Jesus, we have the righteousness of of God restored through his blood on the cross for us. So, yes, we need to make the gospel relevant. We need to understand that cultures, uh, different aspects of the the gospel will appeal to different uh, cultures. So that's important that that we do. We must make it relevant. And then even individual people, of course, as we're sharing with them, we need to be praying, God, Holy Spirit, help me. What? How can I make the gospel relevant to this person? Okay? One of the ways to make it relevant and appealing is to use lots of stories and analogies, just like Jesus. I mean, he was always using parables because it got people's attention. It was something they would remember afterwards, could think more of. Helen became a real expert at that in China, in fact, She was asked on several occasions to give workshops about how to turn conversations or explain the gospel with uh, just everyday examples. We were talking about evangelism, and and she said, well, if you went down to the store and they were selling oranges for three cents a pound, and they're normally $3 a pound, what would you do? 
Suddenly, all these ladies and the men got excited talking about, oh, yeah, I would go and I'd call my aunt. I'd get my wheelbarrow down there. And, they, oh, they were just talking. And she said, why? Because something that's valuable that, that you is really helpful, you love to eat it, is suddenly a, at a great price. And what about salvation? Salvation through Jesus. It's free. Shouldn't we in the same way be telling people about it's free? Eternal life. That really made a big impact on them, using an ordinary illustration of everyday life to illustrate these points. So that's critical. And also, making it relevant, we have to really be careful about our language. You know, going up to someone and saying, so, brother, are you washed in the blood? <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I, I hope not. <laughs> okay, we use religious jargon. Uh, are you sanctified, brother? Uh, I don't think so. Have you been justified? Okay, we've got to be careful of our language and use ordinary language that people uh, understand. That's why it's, it's helpful to share with others. Others, often we aren't even aware of what we're saying, and we need somebody else to point it out. Oh, that might not be the best way to, to, to say that. Okay, and as we do this, I think it goes a long way and help us to do it. And really, isn't that how we want to do it in a natural way? And I'm not advocating, maybe some people sometimes get the idea I'm saying, so I want everybody to be start going out and sharing with strangers on the street and everybody you meet. Um, no, what I'm saying is every time the Holy Spirit leads you to engage somebody in, a, in, a, in conversation, Obey the Holy Spirit. I don't know how he's going to lead you. Um, I personally, and most people agree, that uh, relationship and lifestyle evangelism seems to be the easiest, most natural, casual, casual, personal way to share with people. Um, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Well, I don't want someone withholding the most important thing in the world, so if somebody came up to me to share the gospel cold turkey, that's not a bad thing. But also, I know I'd generally be more responsive if someone I have some relationship with and know. Um, so both are important, and I believe the Holy Spirit will lead us in both ways. But again, the key here is letting the Holy Spirit guide us. Uh, this is a legitimate concern of being hypocritical. This person was talking in particular at work. I screw up at work sometimes. Some days I grumble and I have a bad attitude. How can I be sharing the gospel? Um, that's natural to feel that way. But that actually can be a great positive. That one of the things our society is in lack of is humble, honest people that say, yeah, I messed up. I'm sorry I had a bad attitude. More and more, we read a book recently, or a book title said, uh, about, showed this, this phrase has come into the U.S. government. Mistakes were made. That's how apologies are made now. Nobody says, I made a mistake by blah, blah, blah. Instead, they, they traced this thing for 10 years, starting, I won't say who it started with, but uh, mistakes were made, okay? No, our society needs people that will say, yeah, I'm sorry yesterday, I had a, I had a bad attitude, and I hope, I didn't, hope you didn't feel like I took it out on you, or if I did, I'm sorry. Um, so yeah, we, if we're honest and we, people know that's a positive thing. They know that Christians make mistakes too. As they come to the Lord, they won't feel like they've got to be perfect, that they will make mistakes and they'll allow themselves to make mistakes. And then 
ask forgiveness. So being sensitive to this is important, but it can be a positive thing for us. Uh, but this is a real problem here. That I saw some research recently that within, they said, six months to two years, most Christians' circle of friendships, um, or someone that's non-Christian that's come to the Lord, within two to, six months to two years, from their circle of friends being 90% non-Christian, within two, six months to two years, it becomes 90% Christian. And so they naturally get to a point uh, where they have very few non-Christian friends. That can be a part of the problem of why we're not sharing more is that pool that we're fishing in has gotten very small. So that's one thing uh, sometimes that we need to take before God and say, God, how do you want to enlarge my pool? Maybe it's by reaching out to refugees, uh, reaching out to international students, or maybe you realize, oh, our son is in Little League. Let's make a real concerted effort to develop the relationships with the people, the other parents. Let's have a picnic afterwards, uh, whatever it may be. Um, so we, that is a real issue. In fact, I saw a statistic recently, the evangelical church for the first time is start, in recent years is starting to slow down its, its growth rate. Um, and part of that is more and more people are becoming isolated from non-Christians. So we need to take, be intentional in, in developing those relationships. Maybe it will be visiting somebody at the prison or... Uh, being more focused on one of your own, uh, taking up a hobby for the express purpose of meeting other people, meeting non-Christians. So I pray you'll take time to pray about that. Okay, just to wrap up, uh, there were some common questions I just wanted to um, touch on. Um, yeah, this uh, big one that a lot of people, this person I was talking to, they said, you know, a lot of people bring up they could never believe in a God that would allow so much evil in the world. Um, so that's a topic uh, Paul or I in the future want to take up. But uh, you know, We know that if God didn't give free will, um, it wouldn't be possible for us to really love God. Um, remember a few weeks ago we sh- shared that song, Who Will Save the Children? One of the lines is, we shake our fists in the air and say, if God is love, how can this be fair? And then it says, but we are his hands, we are his feet. So really, whenever we point and say, God, you're unfair to allow evil, we, should, we really need to point it at ourselves. The evil in the world is because of the sinfulness of men. But this is an important issue and one that we want to take more time in the future. But it's another one of those skills. As more and more you begin sharing with people and you get stumped by a question, the natural thing is, oh, I need to find an answer. And so that's a good thing. Failure can be a great learning tool Um, because God wants to, he has blessings for us in this area. He wants us to be fishers of men, fishers of women. He wants us to abide closely in him so that when the Holy Spirit prompts us, we'll be obedient and we'll learn from it and we'll share by the leading and the power of the Holy Spirit and leave the results to God. So, for application, I already mentioned one of this, that the idea of praying daily for three people you and your accountability partner want to see. This is really powerful. When you start praying every day for something, it's hard not to do anything about it. 
but also God's going to be at work in people's lives. So that's very exciting to me. Also, that we think about planning events. Maybe we have an event, one of those persons really is on our heart, and we say, oh, we ought to plan an event. I'd like him to get to know the guys. Maybe we'll go out and do putt-putt or golf or something together, and they can see that Christians are nice people, and, and they'll have a bond there, and that can be one more P on that scale to help them. Um, have someone over for dinner. I mentioned this before. Helen and I would love to come do an hour seminar on parenting or marriage during a lunch hour. If you have two colleagues, one colleague, we'll come for one person even. Uh, if there's a few people interested in that topic, that can be a very non-threatening one. And kind of at the end, we can say, oh, and by the way, the principles we talked about are from, are from the Bible. So again, putting a, another P or two on the scale. Mentioned prison fellowship, visit local people that are in prison. Be a wonderful ministry. And then also the last thing we want to do in the men's and women's group is uh, kind of make a commitment among you to say, if you respond and you're obedient to the Holy Spirit and uh, to tell others that you had success. Today I felt the Holy Spirit leading me to just even mention to my friend that, oh, I'm a Christian on Sunday. Our church had a, had a great picnic, blah, blah, blah. So that was, uh, you're letting, your, letting others know that you're a Christian. So share that with your brothers. Hey, praise the God, praise God, the Holy Spirit led me to do this, and I did it. Um, and then also sharing times where the Holy Spirit led me to do this, uh, but I failed. Pray for me that I, next time I'll, I, I won't, I'll, I'll follow his leading closer. Or the Holy Spirit led me to share the gospel, and I, uh, I tried, but I goofed up. So pray for me that I'll practice more and get better so I can have more confidence. But to encourage one another and be real with one another that we can develop this area because I believe this is an area God is at work in our midst, something he wants to bless us with this year. Not to pour guilt upon us or get us discouraged, but instead take the lid off and let be full of life, even more life, uh, to bless us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our Abba Father and you just want the best for us, Lord. And even when the areas where we're weak, Lord, thank you that you're gentle and you're kind and you're such a nurturing father. Um, thank you that that's how you come to us in this matter. Wanting our very best. Not wanting us to miss out on all the blessings you have for us and for others that don't yet know of your amazing love. So Lord, help us. Help us not to just Hear another sermon, but help us as we try to do practical things to really make this a reality as a real way that we can honor you and bring glory to your name. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.